ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning in to episode number 10 of the Page Turners Book Club, Book Study. Books, 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 books. Books here, books there, books everywhere. I am your host of the Page Turners Podcast. My name is Elgin Bailey, also known as Big L, also known as Mr. Catch-22, also known as Bishop Heavyset Voice. Man, we are still riding out and walking through Black Theology and Black Power by the late, great Dr. James H. Cone. <clears throat> I pray, man, that all you folks out there on the East Coast specifically are staying cool in the midst of this heat wave. Man, this humidity feels like invisible quicksand. Uh, stay cool, man. Stay hydrated. And most importantly, man, stay focused. Uh, it can get kind of strange out here when the heat is at the height that it currently is. We are currently, man, in chapter two of Black Theology and Black Power. Chapter two is titled The Gospel of Jesus, Black People, and Black Power. We're making a good time through this book, man. I'm excited. Uh, we're a little bit more than a, a quarter of the way through the book. Uh, I'm going to try maybe to even get through uh, most of the rest of chapter two tonight uh, so we can begin chapter three, which is titled The White Church and Black Power. Uh, really looking forward to a man excited about what this podcast is doing. I had a couple of people ask me, man, how can we get a hold of you? Uh, how can we share comments? How can we do different things? Because this podcast is uh, on many different podcasting hosting sites from Google Play to Spotify to iTunes to uh, it's like eight or nine different dog on podcast sites. And since I have not done a very good job of putting out contact information because I just wanted to be able to create content, man, to give folks content, content, content. Uh, but people are asking different ways to get a hold of me. Uh, so let me give you two ways. Let me give you the actual email for the Page Turners podcast, and then you can find me on Twitter. The email for the Page Turners podcast is as following. Page Turners, B-T-M at gmail.com. Page Turners, B-T-M at gmail.com. That's the actual email address to get a hold of your boy here. Um, and if you got comments, questions, criticisms, bring it. And also... You can always catch me on Twitter uh, at Elgin Bailey. Simple. Simple stuff, man. I just want to thank you guys, man. Uh, 
had a couple people ask me about uh, how could they donate funds and uh, all these different things. What's my cash app? Things along those lines. Uh, let me just keep creating content for a little bit, man. Uh, I'm never going to turn down money of, you know, that, that people want to give for me doing the work that I'm doing. But I don't want what I'm doing to be about creating some sort of revenue. That's not why I do this particular podcast. Uh, if it bursts into a revenue generating entity in the future, man, I will be more, <laughs> more than appreciative to that. But I want to thank you guys, man, for continuing to uh, tune in, man, to the Page Turner podcast. You know, we're really having a good time with Black Theology and Black Power by Dr. James H. Cone. So let's dig into the text, man. This particular section of chapter two is titled The Righteousness of God and Black Power. To demand freedom is to demand justice. When there is no justice in the land, a man's freedom is threatened. Freedom and justice are interdependent. When a man has no protection under law, it is difficult for him to make others recognize him. And thus his freedom to be a thou is placed in jeopardy. Therefore, it is understandable that freedom and justice are probably the most often repeated words when a black man is asked, what do you want? The answer is simple, freedom and justice, no more, no less. And I'm gonna be honest with you, family. Uh, I don't know what justice is like for non-white black people in America. And I can think of, you know, non-white black people across the diaspora, but I'm focusing here in America, the descendants of slaves here. I don't know what justice is like. I don't, I don't know what justice looks like. I, I, I've never seen justice. I, I, I see people striving and fighting for justice and equality, family, but I, I don't know what justice and equality are. I, I think the whole notion of fighting for equality is a form of insanity. Because uh, basically what equality is, you're in some shape, form, or fashion asking, begging, pleading, attempt to use pressure politics against those who hold the bulk of the power to give some of their power to you in order for you guys to be equal in a power dynamic. Does that make sense? You want the person who holds all the chips to give you some of the chips so you guys are equal and I just think that's insanity. Never throughout history, man, have you ever seen a, a, a the people or group who are holding power freely give some of their power up to make the people who are demanding some of their power to be equal footing. You've never even seen people go to, to war for equality. 
it's always going to be somebody in power. Back to the text. Unfortunately, many whites pretend that they do not understand what the black man is demanding. Theologians and churchmen have been of little help in this matter because much of their intellectualizing has gone into analyzing the idea of God's righteousness in a fashion far removed from the daily experience of men. They fail to give proper emphasis to another equally, if not more equal, important concern, namely the biblical idea of God's righteousness as the divine decision to vindicate the poor, the needy, and the helpless in society. It seems that much of this abstract theological disputation and speculation are the favorite pastime for many theological society serves as a substitute for relevant involvement in a world where men die for the lack of political justice. A black theologian wants to know what the gospel has to say to a man who is jobless and cannot get to work to support his family because the society is unjust. He wants to know what is God's word to the countless black boys and girls who are fatherless and motherless because white society decreed that blacks have no rights. Unless there is a word from Christ to the helpless, then why should they respond to him? If there's not a word to the helpless, why should the helpless respond to Christ? If there's not a word from Christ, why should they respond? I got a couple of pastors, man, who, who, you know, a couple of folk who are in leadership in churches doing some great work, man, grinding, putting forth some work uh, in the community, not only saving souls, but changing lives. How do you answer that question? Unless there is a word from Christ to the helpless, then why should they respond to him? How do we relate the gospel of Christ to people whose daily existence in one of the is one of hunger or even worse despair? Or do we simply refer them to the next world? Man, I want to throw this doggone book after reading that. I want to listen, man. There is too many black preachers, black pastors who are pushing this pie in the sky. Mm, nonsense. You have so much theological foolishness up in your mind and, and, and that you spit out, but you're not giving anybody any gospel on how to make it through today. It's all about how to get to heaven. Yeah, okay. But now I, once I get to a position where I'm solidified in my salvation, tell me, how are you going to help me get food? And then how are you going to help me with my despair? I think that's one of the great tragedies of the black church. Now listen, man. I'm not a black church basher. That's not my thing. My, my thing is not to, to bash the black church. But I would be an absolute liar if I didn't say, or a coward, more importantly, if I didn't say that the black church can be doing more. 
and the text reads, the key to the answer in the thinking of the black theologian is in the biblical concept of the righteousness of God. According to the Bible, God and not man is the author of justice. And since justice is a part of being a God, he is bound to do justly. Whatever God does must be just because he is just. justice. It is important to note that God's righteousness refers not so much to an abstract quality related to his being in the realm of thought, as commonly found in Greek philosophy, but to his activity in human history, in the historical events of the time, and affecting his purpose despite those who oppose it. This is the biblical tradition. Israel as a people initially came to know God through the Exodus. It was Yahweh who emancipated her from Egyptian bondage and subsequently established a covenant with her Sinai, promising, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all people. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6. Divine righteousness means that God will be faithful to his promise, that his purposes for Israel will not be thwarted. Israel, therefore, need not worry about her weakness and powerlessness in a world of mighty military powers. For all the earth is mine, Exodus 19, 5. The righteousness of God means that he will protect her from the ungodly menacing of other natures. Righteousness means God is doing justice, that he is putting right what men have made wrong. It is significant to note the condition of the people to whom God chose to reveal his righteousness. God elected to be the helper and savior to people oppressed and powerless in contrast to the proud and mighty nations. Excuse me, family. It is also equally important to notice that within Israel, his righteousness is on behalf of the poor, defenseless, and unwanted. If God is going to see righteousness established in the land, he himself must be particularly active as the helper of the fatherless. That's Psalms 10:14. To deliver the needy when he crieth, and the poor that haveth no helper. Psalm 72:12. His vindication is for the poor because they are defenseless before the wicked and powerful. For this reason, writes Barth, in the relations and events in the life of his people, God always takes a stand unconditionally and passionately on this side alone, against the lofty and on behalf of the lowly, against those who already enjoy right and privilege, and on behalf of those who are denied it and deprived of it. This is certainly the message of the 8th century prophets Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah, being ethical prophets concerned with social justice. They proclaim Yahweh's intolerance with the rich, who, as Amos says, trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. That's Amos 2, 7. And sell righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. Amos 2, 6. God unquestionably will vindicate the poor. And just keep it all the way one funky with your family. All the way 100. All the way. Dr. Cohn says and states here, God unquestionably will vindicate the poor. The question that you have to be asking, 
And I think has to be asked and should be asked is when? When? When, God? And the text reads, if we can trust the New Testament, God became man in Jesus Christ in order that the poor might have the gospel preached to them, that the poor might have the kingdom of God, Luke 6.20, that those who hunger might be satisfied, that those who weep might laugh. If God is to be true to himself, his righteousness must be directed to the helpless and the poor, those who can expect no security from the world. The rich, the secure, the suburbanite can have no part of God's righteousness because of their trust and dependence on the things of the world. God's righteousness triumphs when man has no means of triumphing. His righteousness is reserved for those who come empty-handed without any economic, political, or social power. That is why the prophets and Jesus were so critical, <clears throat> excuse me, so critical of the economically secure. Their security gets in the way of absolute faith in God. Earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all, all the time, they are the very source of all anxiety. What then is God's word of righteousness to the poor and the helpless? I became poor in Christ in order that man may be not poor. I am in the ghetto where rats and disease threaten the very existence of my people. And it can be assured that I have not forgotten my promise to them. My righteousness will vindicate your suffering. Remember, I know the meaning of rejection because in Christ I was rejected. The meaning of physical pain because I was crucified. The meaning of death because I died. But my resurrection in Christ means that alien powers cannot keep you from the full meaning of life's existence as found in Christ. Even now, the kingdom is available to you. Even now, I am present with you because your suffering is my suffering, and I will not let the wicked triumph. This is God's word. Those who wish to share in this divine righteousness must become poor without any possibility of procuring right for themselves. The righteousness of the believer consists in the fact that God acts for him utterly because he cannot plead his own case and no one can, no one else can represent him. The men of faith come to God because they can go to no one else. He and he alone is their security. It is within this context that men should be reminded of the awesome political responsibility which follows from justification by faith. To be made righteous through Christ places a man in the situation where he too, like Christ, must be for the poor, for God and against the world, as Barth puts it. There follows from the character of faith a political attitude, decisively determined by the fact that man is made responsible to all those who are poor and wretched in his eyes, that he is summoned on his part to espouse the cause of those who suffer wrong. Why? Because in them it is manifested to him what he himself is in the sight of God, because the living, gracious, merciful action of God towards him consists in the fact that God himself is in his own righteousness, procures right for him, the poor and the wretched, because he and all men stand in the presence of God as those for whom right can be procured only by God himself. The man who lives by faith that is all true stands under a political responsibility.
No Christian can evade this responsibility. He cannot say that the poor are in poverty because they will not work, or they suffer because they are lazy. Having come before God as nothing and being received by him into his kingdom through grace, the Christian should know that he has been made righteous, justified, so that he can join God in the fight for justice. Therefore, whoever fights for the poor fights for God. Whoever risks his life for the helpless and unwanted risks his life for God. God is active now in the lives of those men who feel an absolute identification with all who suffer because there is no justice in the land. I'm going to tell you, man, Dr. Cohn murders this section. He murders this section. I'm just going to, in fact, man, I'm just going to hit y'all with that right there. I'm going to hit y'all with a quick, quick 15, 20 minutes of, of, of good dialogue for you to chew on and to digest. Um, there's a lot to be discussed there. There's a lot to meditate on. The the part of me doing that's me scratch my beard, man. Part of me doing twenty to thirty minute podcasts is not about getting a bunch of content out just for the sake of content. But I want to put out content, man, that gets you guys thinking thinking about the things that are being shared, digesting, taking these bits and pieces of these gems and going and having great dialogue with people across the world, in your family, your friends, your churches, wherever, and address some of these things, man. Have some of these questions, man. Again, it's your boy, Big L. A.K.A. Elgin Bailey, A.K.A. Mr. Catch-22, A.K.A. Bishop Heavyset Voice in the building, man. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Page Turner's Podcast. Doing this wonderful book walkthrough of Black Theology and Black Power by the late, great Dr. James Cone, the father of Black Liberation Theology. Till next time, family. I'm out.